This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the Athletic Baseball Show for Friday, October 7th. Derek Van Riper here with Keith Law. On this episode, we will discuss awards. Keith had a recent piece up looking at several major awards. Not the leg lamp from the Christmas story, but major awards that we give out in baseball. So we'll discuss some of the more open awards that are out there. We know AL MVP has been heavily discussed, so we'll kind of move away from that. Fall League started this week out in Arizona, so we'll talk a little bit about what's happening out there. And if you're going to either go to Arizona or watch some of those games on TV as they come around, you know what you should be mindful of given the environments they're in. And we'll probably make a few playoff predictions because when Eno and I predicted the wild card round series for Thursday's show, we certainly got most of those things wrong. So we want to be wrong about some bigger playoff things like who's going to win the World Series. That seems like a prediction worth making and being wrong about, doesn't it? Uh, isn't that why we make predictions? Just to be wrong. Just to laugh at ourselves? Yeah, absolutely. Let's start with some layups. AL MVP, it is going to be Aaron Judge, right? Like We could say that with a high level of confidence. Yes. Let me ask this, though. How many votes do you think Otani gets for first place? Low double digits. For some reason, in my mind, I was thinking there are 60 ballots for each award. There are 30, so cut that number in half. It's more like five or six First place votes is what I'd expect for Shohei Otani. Yeah, I would agree with that. But it's not zero. And I talked on my pod this week to Stephanie Epstein about that. And you know, she she actually thinks it might be unanimous. And I'm not arguing. She could be totally right. I think there are going to be a couple of voters who are either either they cover the Angels or just cannot get over Otani being a unicorn. He is. He's actually become finally become much more of the pitcher that I thought we were getting. You know, I was all in on him as a pitcher and less so on him as a hitter coming into coming into his major league career because, frankly, you know, he was thought he was going to strike out a lot, which he did, particularly earlier in his career. Now he's cut down the strikeouts, but he's lost some other stuff, on, you know, which I'm sure is an approach change, a deliberate one. But the big thing with Otani is, oh, yeah, he's like an ace. He just needs to pitch a little bit more, which I think he, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he did next year. But Judge is just, it's such a historical season. You know, I argued in my piece, it's the best non-Bonds season since Cal Ripken in 91. That's pretty good company, I think. Yeah, that's really good company to be in. The evolution of Otani as a pitcher. I just thought he was a finished product after what we saw last year. I didn't think there was one more level there. And he made adjustments throughout this season. And I'm excited for what comes next. Even if he is, in fact, the runner-up for AL MVP this year, he'd be among the favorites for next season and for the next few seasons beyond that, quick sidebar, Phil Nevin's back for another year as the Angels manager, which in and of itself, I don't have a strong opinion about Phil Nevin specifically, but it's more of the organizational spin the tires. That's the frustrating part, I think, if you're an Angels fan. They just need better players, right? That's the that's you know, they gotta go out now and probably spend some money to go get you know, now it's actually hitters. I mean, that's the thing I think that's so interesting is for a while we're like pitchers, 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 pitchers. But their run prevention wasn't what let them down this year. But they were like a three-man offense. Obviously, they do need to go after some pitching. And they're aware of that. But they're going to have to be pretty active 
this winter. I have no opinion on Nevin. He ain't the he ain't the problem. He ain't the solution. We just don't know, right? There, it, it, that one just comes down to the players. I guess if they just fired Nevin, I would have been like, really? You're just this is just you're changing the wrapping paper. It's the same present. Yeah, it's just a strange uh, crossroads season that they're going to have in, in 2023, of course, with it being the final year of Otani's contract, at least yes. his current one. So we'll see how things play out between now and about this time next year when mm-hmm. we'll be looking at a likely uh, a free agency foray for yep. Mr. Shohei Otani. You had Andres Jimenez third on your ballot, which I think is is really cool. I mean, it's not it's it's your written ballot for the athletic. It's not a, a ballot that was submitted. Right. This is right. This is an exercise in what I would do if I were voting. And I think this is going to be great because people will get a look at Andres Jimenez in the postseason. Many people who have not watched the Guardians at all this year will see that he has become that sort of player. We talked a lot about him as the other guy. It's Jose Ramirez and Andres Jimenez now, whereas it used to be Ramirez and Lindor. And the Guardians are, are a different kind of team. We've talked about this a lot throughout the season. I think the question I have for you with Jimenez is how sustainable is the growth that you saw this year? Is this going to go down as a career year by a decent margin? Or do you think there's still some things he can kind of build on and make similar contributions going forward? I think it's legit. He is hitting the ball harder and he is and he has shown improvements also in his performance against off speed. I think it's all pretty real. And I give Cleveland a ton of credit because this is stuff that the Mets player development folks weren't able to get this out of him, but they did. They made some, they worked with him on making some changes. There's some physical changes. There were definitely some swing changes and not just swing in terms of the shape of the swing, but getting him to kind of cut down the leg kicks. He's using his legs more. He's getting more into that power. It's not just over the fence power, right? Because he's able to use his legs and actually drive the ball by planting, getting that lower half involved. He used to be kind of more of an upper half, you know, flattish swing slap guy who it's like yeah he's young he never strikes out okay those guys are fine but you also worry they're going to turn into nick madrigal or Xavier edwards and players like that who just don't have a lot of impact um it's kind of the concern that we're you know everyone's having over austin martin who's now with the twins and obviously he had a wrist or hand injury that also ruined his year but he's got to start hitting the ball harder jimenez is a pretty good example of yeah you can do this with the right kind of player and the, you know, the right physical tools and the right mental outlook. Um, I think he's going to be this player for a while. I don't know if he's going to be third in the league good for a while, but I think he's going to be an all-star for a while. Yeah, that's a, a huge get for Cleveland as a result of that trade that sent Lindor to New York. And again, cool to see him on a big stage now with his new club. Let's go to the NL side because this is the MVP race that has been much less discussed throughout the season. You had Nolan Arenado at the top, but as you wrote, Arenado versus Manny Machado versus Paul Goldschmidt, any one of those three truly do make sense for the award. And I do think in some ways what Machado has done this year has been a little bit underappreciated outside of San Diego because they they made the big splashy moves, the trade deadline that we talked a lot about for the better part of the last two months. And we were expecting Tatis to come back and help provide a boost. And if Machado, yeah, it didn't happen. If Machado didn't have a season like the one he's had, the Padres may have been in the position where the Brewers are right now. They might be on the outside looking in because the margins were that close for those NL wildcard spots this year. Yes. Um, you know, to me, it was Arenado best. All three of those guys had roughly equivalent seasons. I'm, we're not even talking about Sandy Alcantara, who I think realistically has no chance because a pitcher had an unbelievable season. But 
of the three hitters, to me, it was Arenado on total value, pretty much right with the other two guys. The best defensive player plays a skill position. Goldschmidt doesn't. Obviously, he plays the same position as Machado, but Arenado, I think, pretty clearly, by the eye test and by advanced metrics, the much better defender at third base. And to me, those are those will always be, I hesitate to call them tiebreakers, but separating factors for me, I'm always going to lead towards guys who play, you know, to me, the skill positions, the four up the middle plus third base. Because I think third base, although we think of it as a corner, requires quite a bit more skill than left, right, or first. And so, I mean, we see that we move guys from third base to right field quite frequently. So to me, I, uh, I see that as uh, the reason enough to put him at the top of my ballot. Yeah, I think that absolutely makes sense. And I know there were people that when Arenado was traded to the Cardinals, they thought, okay, this is the beginning of what should be a long sort of graceful decline. The power ceiling won't be the same outside of Coors Field. And maybe we won't see another 40 home run season from Arenado. We saw, I think, three of those during his time with the Rockies. But he is aged much better than expected. I know there was a, a great story about some of the changes he made. He increased bat speed in his age 31 season. That is really hard to do but that's also in some ways I think that's one of the things that is helping hitters catch up to a lot of the developments that have made pitching so good over the past decade oh you mean everybody throwing 106 miles an hour at this point yeah hitters actually have a, a way to maybe do some things that are a little bit different I hope that the introduction of the pitch clock next year will back off a little bit on that you know Joe Sheehan loves to say you know talking about pitchers or wizards at this point I mean obviously that's pitching ninjas entire account and you know what if you don't have as much recovery time we lose a little bit of that you're gonna have to you're gonna have to just pitch differently sorry but you know what i think it'll put i I think it's gonna have the effect of putting more balls in play in addition to making games faster which i do appreciate um and we've talked about how much that's i think that's benefited games at the minor league level but also i think we're not going to see as many guys throwing you know 98 with insane movement and that might be better for the sport yeah, and I wonder if the trade-off would be if you do still throw that hard with the pitch clock, if pitching deeper into games becomes even more difficult for those pitchers. You know, if, if the fade ends up being duration of outing to a greater degree, if you keep going at the same sort of near-max velocities that you're at right now. I do wonder, too, this seems like a good time to talk about Sandy Alcantara. We could focus on the NL Cy Young, too, is is Sandy Alcantara's kind of different. He, he's a bit of a throwback pitcher he for is. me because he's not racking up a ton of Ks, but he's racking up a lot of innings. And he does miss bats. It's not like he's out there with a, oh, yeah, he's a six strikeouts good. per nine. Yeah, he's right. 207 strikeouts and 228 and two-thirds innings. That looks like something you would have seen on the back of a baseball card 15 years ago. And doing that with excellent ratios, excellent control. I think that's the thing that has really stood out to me these last two seasons now for Sandy Alcantara is that the walk rate has become excellent from him. And when he first broke into the league, there were some control issues that he had to iron out. Yep. That is, I was all dead accurate. Um, He has substantially improved um, in terms of his command and control and shown he can be more effective um, with the, Really, with the with the arsenal that he has, there were concerns that he didn't have the secondary stuff. Well, that's improved. Well, there were concerns that the fastball played below its velocity. Well, that's improved. Well, there were concerns about command. He's just a thrower. He is. He's a throwback in the terms of the pitcher that he is. He's a throwback in terms of the type of development story that he is. Also, which I which I also greatly appreciate. 
Yeah, really good season for him. I think you're right to have him as the the NL Cy Young winner. I think uh, yeah. it's, it's I deserved. Think that's, a, that's a no-brainer, right? Like, he's got that pretty easily. I think so. I think that one's pretty safe at this point. AL Cy Young, I think, might be a little more open. You've got Justin Verlander at the top. So what has him ahead of the likes of Dylan Cease and Otani and the two Jays, Kevin Gossman and Alec Manoa, who you had rounding out your top five? Yeah, this was one where I did... You know, for better or for worse, lean on the advanced metrics where if you, you know, I try to try to, quote unquote, split the baby and find, um, you know, the right. Because we've got the ERA based method of baseball reference. We've got the FIP based method of fan graphs. I don't think either of those is really perfect. I probably lean a little more towards the FIP based method, but I'm not going to tell you that that's the perfect answer, certainly. And so, you know, try to come in between those two like if you look at the the era based method it destroys kevin gossman who just got no help from his defense this year and i mean that's not gossman all out to think it was a 360 something babip that's not on him there's an, and there's nothing in the we now have better pitch data too to tell us whether that was actually merited and in his case it really wasn't so to me that was using both methods looking at both methods of wins above replacement I leaned towards Verlander, even with the innings pitch deficit, but nobody ran away with it like Alcantara did. And Alcantara, by any measure, was the best pitcher in the National League. Nobody in the American League racked up, what was it, 228 innings or something, 225, some ridiculous innings pitch total that would have been a separator here. Whereas in a lot of years, I I would not have voted for a guy with a lower innings total because there would generally be guys who threw 25, 30 innings more and pitched just as well. It's just in this case, the American League, we didn't we didn't have that. We didn't have a, a workhorse like Alcantara. Yeah, the, the gap was more like 20 to 25 innings, and sometimes it's 40 to 50 when you're talking about the, the best skills pitcher compared to some of the, the other really good seasons that are near the top of the innings pitch leaderboard. Justin Verlander's season is remarkable just in the sense that we're talking about a 39-year-old coming off of Tommy John surgery. Yeah, kind of crazy, huh? How far back into the past do we have to go for you to say, no, nah, that, that didn't happen. Right. This would have been unthinkable at some point not that long ago. The strikeout rate's not quite where it was. That's picking nits. Yeah. He's still Verlander in pretty much every possible way. And he's still a guy you would trust with your season on the line. If, if you're the Astros, you're choosing one of your starters to go out there in a, in a decisive game in the postseason. He's the guy that you'd want to have on the mound at this point. And I know the contract that he had this year it was a one-year, $25 million deal with a, a vesting option if he got to 130 innings. It's a player option, so he mm-hmm. can he can go to free agency if he wants to. I think he could keep pitching for a few more years. I think we have a handful of guys in Major League Baseball right now. Max Scherzer is another one of them. They're kind of like the Tom Brady equivalents in terms of shattering the aging curve mm-hmm. and possibly pitching into their early and even their mid 40s if they want to that's the trajectory that these guys are currently on right it's um the, what was it three of his last six starts he was pulled with a no hitter in progress okay what? sure <laughs> right getting all the way back in, in the stretch run i mean that's just amazing god am i making this up but somewhere there was something about him wanting to get to 300 wins or something like that and you know obviously we could i'm not gonna hijack this with a discussion of the uselessness of the pitcher win stat he's at 244 i mean that's it's pushing it 
but he had 18 this year. If he did that three more times, he'd be at a very frustrating 298, actually. <laughs> he'd have to pitch four more years. I'm not ruling it out. Right? It's not crazy. He'd have to go to winners, obviously. And, like, I could see him doing the little bit of the, you know, Clemens go out one year deal, one year deal, right? Do a few like that. Maybe even wait to sign and see who's really got the best chance. You could see him doing something like that. I mean, it it, it is hard to say a guy, yes, he's going to be 40 in February, but he had basically a six-war season. I just pulled up baseball reference here. Um you know, and was managed really carefully. Give the Astros a ton of credit. They did a great job managing him and his workload. Justin Verlander could just wake up one day and say, you know what? I've had a great career. I'm done. Yes, I'm He's done. at that age. And we'd say, awesome. Good job. See you in Cooperstown. And nobody would, would bat an eye. But also he could come back and win another Cy Young next year. Right. That's the range of outcomes for him at age 40. Yeah, he's not Steve Carlton this, right? It's more like, you know, he'd be leaving on top. If he just said this winter, I'm done. Great, we'll see you in the Hall of Fame in five years. Yeah. Right? It's it's not even a conversation at that point. It'd be kind of interesting to win a Cy Young and then say, yeah, I'm done. You know, if they win another World Series, does he feel differently? I, who knows? Who knows? He seems... I will say this. I want him to come back. I would love to see him continue to boost those career totals. I don't need to see him get to 300 wins. Obviously, if he gets there, that's great. Um, I, I don't think there's any reason he needs, like, it's not like he needs to do that to get into the Hall of Fame. He is a, you know, he's clearly going to get in. I, I cannot imagine him not getting in on the first ballot, for example. But, you know, could he decide to, God, even getting to 250 is an accomplishment at this point. 250 career wins. I mean, he's got a chance to, I got to pull this up. He's at 12th all-time in career strikeouts what does he need to do oh that's like a season if he pitches a full season next year he'll pass maddox and get into the top 10 like yeah those are all worthy yeah i I think it's automatic first ballot hall of fame resume that justin verlander has put together to this point and he might keep adding to it at a high level which is just remarkable the other player that i think is worth talking about here and there's certainly a lot of other ways we could go is dylan cease i mean dylan cease Mm -hmm. Pitched really well this year. Finished with a 220 ERA, 184 innings, uh, over 11 Ks per nine. The skills flaw I've always worried about with Dylan Cease is the walk rate. You know, yep. We talked about it with Sandy Alcantara, and uh, it's not as bad as it was for Sandy Alcantara at the very beginning of his career. But Dylan Cease, I think, has one more level if he can bring that walk rate down. Even if he doesn't, yep. we're seeing the ceiling right now. Like this... This is a very high level for him and a pretty big win for the White Sox in a year where a lot of things didn't go particularly well. Cease was very good last year, but he was excellent in 2022. And I would, hey, if he wins the Cy Young Award, awesome. Would be ecstatic for him. Like, this is not, sometimes people, people misinterpret these columns I do every year in two ways. One is people think they're a prediction. Nope. And the other is they think it's rooting interest. Nope. I'm going to be happy. You know, I'll like, I get annoyed when, what was it, Bartolo Colon, the one year he won just because he had the most wins and he was probably not even one of the five best pitchers in the American League. Come on. Really? We're better than that at this point. I don't think that's happening. We're getting less and less in that over time. The voting pool is getting younger and they're, you know, moving away from ridiculous old ideas. Um, You know, we're getting 
smarter over time. There will still be disagreements. We can st- we can have very civil discourse over Judge versus Otani, for example, and say there's not really a wrong answer. I got my preference. You got your preference, and that's fine. Um, I would be thrilled if Dylan Cease won the Yale Cy Young Award. Be great for him. Verlander's already got a couple of those. And I'm not going to feel like he got deprived here. Also, you know, again, it's not like it's going to affect his Hall of Fame case, for example. I don't think it's going to affect him very much at all. Let's get in the time machine and go back to 2005 when Bartolo Colon won the AL Cy Young. Remember who finished second that year in the AL Cy Young? Was it like a reliever or something? Yeah, it was Mariano Rivera. It was. It wasn't Johan Santana. Who was clearly the best pitcher in the league. Yes. He was the person who should have won the award. Oh, absolutely. Down. Not even close. One of the one of the all-time awards mistakes, at least from modern history. Oh, absolutely. Maybe all-time, though. Yeah, it's pretty bad. That's w- one of the worst in the recent ones. I, I absolutely. completely agree with that. One of the more embarrassing. I mean, the BBWAA has had plenty of chances to embarrass themselves. That was one of the worst. I mean, that's the thing. You you know, it's if you look at the BBWAA now versus then, right? Then, 2005, I was still with the Jays at that point. It was overwhelmingly white and male and skewed a little older. And now it is, I don't know that I would say we are diverse in absolute terms but relative to where we used to be we're younger we are more diverse in just about every dimension and that continues to i think continues to improve even as the industry itself is you know struggling the the people who are coming into this industry and mlb now that mlb.com people are in the bbwaa also they are you know mlb has been very good at diversity and hiring and guess what turns out there's a ton of research that shows diversity produces better outcomes. It produces better decision-making. It produces more creativity. There's all kinds of evidence that diversity is good for basically just avoiding groupthink. And you got a lot of really bad groupthink historically in awards and Hall of Fame voting. Yeah, with you across the board. And I do think it has changed a lot, even just in the last 10 years, in terms of how these awards tend to break down, like the the more sabermetrically inclined lean has a bigger voice in the room or a larger larger share of the ballots that has helped shift things a little bit too and absolutely some of the the diversity changing within the group always a positive Mm -hmm. a few more uh, awards real quick let's get to the rookie of the year awards because this was a great rookie class as you and i have discussed on a few occasions on this podcast I think the AL Rookie of the Year award is closer than people realize. It was something you wrote about. So how did you decide in the Julio Rodriguez versus Adley Rutschman who got the top spot? Yeah, Rodriguez does get the nod for playing more. And I don't weigh that as heavily in Rookie of the Year voting. But I think that, you know, if Adley played a full year, maybe I would have flipped them. But I can't hold it against Julio in this case that he did play more. You know, generally, I try not to weigh that too much in rookie of the year voting because teams play service time games, and that certainly shouldn't be held against a player. But Julio is basically a star from day one, and Adley has become a star. I think next year would not be surprised if Adley, if both those guys ended up on an MVP ballot, um, like meaning in my top 10 for the AL MVP. But I just didn't see any reason to say to boost Adley over Julio when Julio was pretty much great from the very start of the season and 
yeah, the extra playing time. I mean, it just it was sustained performance. It's not like he only beat Adley because he played more. He also played great. The NL side is one we won't discuss on this pod because you do you have a vote for that. But you can. I'll just sit here and laugh at you internally. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, if you are a fan uh, of Atlanta baseball, you are going to be pretty happy with what happens with the NL Rookie of the Year award. That's it's, true. <laughs> it's, it's Michael Harris versus Spencer Strider for me. If it were something I was voting on. I'd probably go back and forth on this one for a few hours before actually submitting the ballot just because it's hitter versus pitcher and they're both really good. And Harris came up sooner than expected, even though he wasn't up all season mm-hmm. and didn't have that that fade that you expect to see from a young player as the league starts to adjust. And we talked about Strider a few weeks ago as someone that really with two pitches, he does have a third, but relying heavily on two pitches is getting excellent results. I mean, you could argue Spencer Strider if he had more innings as an NL Cy Young candidate this year. Mm-hmm. But if you gave Michael Harris a full season's worth of plate appearances, he'd be in the MVP conversation. That's how good both of these guys have been. I think my vote would go to Harris, but I actually don't envy you or anybody who had to vote on this. Keith with hand over mouth emoji uh, comment redacted. So, We move on from awards. We move on to the Arizona Fall League, Keith. And this is a league that I've always enjoyed getting to see in person. It's been a few years. I won't get to go down there this year. Um, You'll get to see some players live in the near future. There's a Fall Stars game that's a showcase game every year. That's usually one of the times that I like to go because I can see many of the good players other than the handful that might leave because of injury or if it's a pitcher that maybe has an innings cap. They reach the innings cap the first couple weeks. They take off. What should people know if they're going to either watch the Arizona Fall League in person or on TV? What What's important to keep in mind about the construct of the league and the environments in which these games are played? Yeah, well, I'll I'll start with I, somebody asked me the other day, I'm going to be out there a couple of days. Who should I keep an eye on? Just watch the games. Honestly, just watch the games. The good players are going to pop. They're going to it'll come to you. And you know what? Maybe some of them won't. I remember seeing Buster Posey out there and he was exhausted. He was terrible. Mike Trout, his second go round out there, had been in the big leagues that year, played a full season. He was exhausted. Salvador Perez, I was like, that guy's not very good at all. Well, it turned out he was also exhausted. Catchers especially get really tired out there. But in general, the best players are probably going to stand out. And if you go to any game, does not matter which teams you go to see, you're going to see prospects. So I really do try to um, discourage people from getting too locked in on, um, you know, which teams, which players should I see, which teams should I go see, et cetera. No, just go, just go do it. Go watch the games. It is going to be, um, you're going to have plenty of guys to see. I would um, add that I think it's worth keeping in mind the ball flies out there. Um, you're, you know, a thousand or so feet above sea level. The air is really dry. We generally do see uh, more offense in fall league. Um, and the pitching is generally not as good as the hitting. Teams are much more reluctant to send pitching prospects than hitting prospects because primarily because of workloads. If a guy's pitched his full complement of innings during the regular season, he generally won't go out there. So you see a lot of guys, a lot of pitchers who may be prospects, but they're coming off injury um, or some other layoff. 
we've had guys be suspended and then come back and pitch out. Suspended during the regular season, they go pitch out there. Kumar Rocker is going to pitch out there. He was drafted in July but did not pitch in a game this summer. Um, He pitched a few games in an independent league before the draft, but after Texas took him third overall, he didn't pitch. So it's his pro debut. So he's a guy who's fairly fresh and may actually peep through one inning um, this week uh, and walked three, which isn't great to see. But also he hasn't pitched since early July or late June, so I'm not going to worry too much about it. That's a guy who could throw a bit more out there. Um, you know, just bear in mind, right, there's more offense. Players can be tired. You often see a lot of sloppy defense out there. We The first week of fall league is always a little entertaining because you get players who've never seen the big sky before, and get you see a lot of dropped fly balls out there. Um you know, I love the Fall League. I think it's great. I think it's great scouting. I think it's a great experience for fans. Um, but it is, it's different. It's not like going to a game in, you know, Harrisburg in the middle of July. Every, it, the, the, it, the play is a little bit different. Um, but the overall caliber of player, the average talent level on any team out there is better than it is on any minor league team also. Fall League feels like what I imagine my retirement years are going to be when you sit in the stands <laughs> at a fall league game there's only a couple hundred people there and it's that kind of warm fall arizona air and there's you, know, you could smell the hot dogs and the popcorn too it has like that faint ballpark smell but something about it it just it, it's like a glimpse into my future mm-hmm. it's like hey <laughs> this is what your life's going to be like in your late 60s hopefully if things if things are going well you'll be able to sit here and and watch some prospects, uh, you know, at age 68 that are, are doing these things. I do think the, I almost pick which games to go to based on which parks are the nicest. And, and Salt River, mm-hmm. that, that's by far the best park in the fall. Oh, league. there's no question. It's not even yeah, it's close. Not even close. And unless you see lineups the day you're going to go watch a game where there are particular players you are there to see. Yep. I would just go to Salt River every single time because it's the it's the best place to sit and it's just it's pretty reasonably centrally located too, depending on where in the valley you're staying. Yep, I agree. I agree with all of that. Yeah, it's by far the best park. It is a beautiful park. It is a um, there's there's a ton of shade. It's really easy to get to. I, mean, I like them all. I, mean, I have a very soft spot for Scottsdale because it's kind of the old style of all the stadiums. Um, you know, the only one I sort of speak against is surprise because it's a pain in the neck to get to. It's actually a lovely stadium. Yeah, no, it's a I nice just hate park. That drive, you know, especially if I got to get there for BP and for a morning game. I'm going to complain about that. There was a point when I first started going to Fall League when everyone didn't have a GPS on their phone. And it was legitimately possible, if you'd never been to Surprise before, to get lost on the way to Surprise. Well, because you'd think you're, I passed it, right? There's no possible way it's this far (laughs) off a highway. This is also before, now the 303 exists, and that has made the drive there a little bit easier. Um, You don't have to spend 20 minutes on Bell Road going three miles. Yep. I will simply say that the cultural, political views of that particular part of the valley do not align well with mine, which is something I've noticed more and more in recent years. But you got to go. The players are where they are. Camelback Ranch is a nice park, too. I think that's one. It's great at night. Yeah. If you're averse to the sun, like if you are or you're worried about being sunburned or having yeah, the sun in your eyes or being hot. Yeah. I heard there was a story about why it was made that way. That's the claim. It was not. Apparently, it was not made 
We know where the sun's going to be. We've been on the planet long enough to understand the sun position relative to a baseball stadium. But there was a, a preference in the McCourt family to have the stadium a certain way. And it was not optimized for sun position relative to the stadium, which means it bakes in the sun in the middle of the afternoon. Doesn't make a lot of sense when you think about, you know, when people go to games in that ballpark. So there's a very small amount of shade. But if you go to that park, you basically have to sit underneath the press box to have shade for a day game. It's about the only place, probably a handful of rows. It's uh, horrendous. I mean, I do it because I have to do it, but it is horrendous. For people like you who need to be closer than that, I don't know, bring bring one of the floppy sun hats. What do you, what do, you do? Is that what you're supposed to wear? A big straw hat? I have a hat that I wear that gives me some protection. You just wear a lot of sunscreen, bring a lot of water, <laughs> you know, kind of move. Like a lot of scouts will sit in the shade and move down as the shade moves down. It's not the worst strategy. Yeah, they need to put a canopy in for the scouts just uh to protect everyone from the sun, but no, that'd be, that'd be kind right, of ridiculous. It's, just, it's horrendous. Yeah, it's so stupid. It, it really is. It's embarrassing that Major League Baseball let that happen. It's just an easy thing to not do, and somehow they did it. Beautiful ballpark, yep. though. Highly recommended at night if you go during spring training or if they happen to play a game in the evening on the schedule. Schedule is worth uh, keeping an eye on, too, because you can catch two games some days when you're out there if you make the sure. trip to Arizona. They got a few rules things they're testing out, too. They're going to use the, the automated ball strike system uh, with challenges at two of the parks at Salt River and then for the Chase Field games. So that's kind yep. of interesting. They're using the bigger bases. So it's a handful of, of tweaks that you'll see. And they're using the Major League pitch clock rules for next season out there mm-hmm. as well. Which I am, you know, we've talked about this. I'm pro pitch clock for a lot of reasons. Um it did not help last year because one other thing to bear in mind, the Arizona Fall League, because teams don't always send their best pitching, sometimes guys just don't throw strikes. Because they can't. Not because they don't want to. They can't. They can't. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is not right. They had the uh, they had the right, but they did not have the ability. Um, so, yeah, that's, that can be I – mean, I'm making it sound like I'm complaining. I actually enjoy Fall League tremendously. You get a few of those. We had one last year that was just horrendous. They actually ended up calling the game after eight innings because they ran out of pitching. And that was the they were using the automated strike zone. It was calibrated way too tight, in my opinion. And we had a couple of pitchers called for pitch clock violations. It was a mess. It was just a really messy game to watch. Yeah, well, you know they they'll work things out. I'm optimistic that that all of that will be better this year. Yeah, enjoy it if you get to go out there and uh, enjoy it if you get to watch it on TV. Fall Stars game, I know, will be televised at early part of November, so it's still a little ways off if you're looking forward to that. Tons of big names out there again this year. Let's get to some more predictions, Keith. What's going to happen in the playoffs? You know, the playoffs begin today. They do? Yeah, we're really excited about that. Oh my god, I should have set up a calendar reminder or something. It's very, it's very sudden, Derek. Yeah, so so what's going to happen? Who, who wins the whole thing? Some team is going to win. Um, and, and most teams are going to lose. Yep. Yeah. Good prediction. Thank you. Yeah. And the Dodgers are going to be one of those teams. They'll be, they'll be a team in the playoffs. They will either win or not win. Yes. Yeah. I feel pretty confident that one of those two things is going to happen. I, I haven't published. I don't, I think they asked for predictions. Somehow I missed the call for predictions on our Slack thing. Um, we've had, we had a bunch of family birthdays this week. I've been a little distracted. Um, I, I, how do you not pick Dodgers 
Astros to me. I'm not saying that's going to be the outcome. I'm saying that's pretty chalk, right? Why wouldn't you just pick Dodgers clearly the best team in baseball? I think Astros are a pretty good case to be the best team in the American League. Not saying they can't lose. Of course they can lose. This is, you know, most playoff series are coin flips. But those are the that's probably what I'd go for. And I will just sort of throw a note out there that a you know, a healthy Mets rotation could make October very interesting. Like that would be my one sort of, you know, what's a wild card team with the best chance to run the table? Yeah, them. I mean, they did win a hundred games and it wasn't a fluke. Like that team's they're legit. Yeah, I think people who are looking at what happened in the NL East and suggesting that the Mets choked or you know, failed in some way, it's like, no, Atlanta's good too. Like the, It's just the problem right. of having two very good teams in the same division is that one of them does not win the division. And when I look at that Mets-Padres series and the overall outlook I have for this team is DeGrom and Scherzer are healthy in October. Oh, and your yep. other starters are all healthy, too, against all odds, right. which is kind of remarkable. Yeah. So generally work that way. You have two elite starters and then at least three good starters behind them. Yep. And a pretty solid A bullpen. And I think of the wild card teams, the teams that are playing this weekend, mm-hmm. they are easily the most dangerous. And if you're the Dodgers, you, I mean, the, the Padres pitching is actually pretty good too, but yeah. it's a notch below the Mets. You'd much rather play the Padres than the Mets if you're the Dodgers, wouldn't you? Yes. I mean, look, Padres don't have their best player. Yeah, they're just down a key player. I know, and I've, I said this yesterday, I know Soto, just because he hasn't played well since the trade doesn't mean he won't play well in the postseason. It's a clean slate. Anything can happen. But of the wild card teams, the Mets to me look the most dangerous. We're making the individual series predictions. The only upset I had for this weekend is the Phillies over the Cardinals, mm-hmm. which seems like a complete fool's prediction. The team that has been underperforming for almost a decade to expect them to go into St. Louis and win even a short series just seems like a, a complete error on, on my part. But the reason sure. I believe in them is I think they have the edge in starting pitching. I think mm-hmm. that lineup can hold its own against St. Louis's lineup. So if it turns into a slugfest, they're going to be fine there. The only big concern I have with the Phillies aside from defense is Bryce Harper just hasn't been himself since coming off the IL. No, it's true. But they're built in a way where they can they scored plenty of runs. They stayed afloat when he was on the IL. Yep. So I think they're still very dangerous in part because their starting pitching is the second best starting pitching in the league by war. Mm-hmm. Their offense can score a lot of runs. And they did improve a little bit defensively by making the Brandon Marsh trade earlier yep. in the season as well. So the, they're still defensive concerns, but they're not quite as bad as they were in that regard when the season started. Yeah, that's fair. I think that's totally fair. I mean, it's just so easy. We've seen so many examples of pitchers, um, you know, teams just getting a, you know, good. Oh God, the Cardinals were this in 06, right? Their pitchers just pitched out of their mind for a couple of weeks. And that was that. All right. So you got Dodgers Astros going to the World mm-hmm. Series. That's the, totally makes sense. Who wins? Do- I'm going to go Dodgers. They're the best team in baseball, right? I don't, I don't think that is an unreasonable prediction. Wait, am I the only one making predictions here? I've looked at this postseason since we kind of knew most of the teams in the field a few weeks ago. I think people have been sleeping on Houston for most of the season. Mm-hmm. I think they still have a little bit of a let's prove that trash can gate 
is is not the reason why we won a few years ago. Let's do that. They still have enough players from that team in tow to have mm-hmm. that sort of chip on their shoulder. But they're well built. They don't really have a clear weakness to me. Yep. So I think I'm going Astros coming out of the AL. I'm going to go Astros over Mets. I think the Mets get to the World Series and lose. I think they find a way to beat the Dodgers. They find a way to get into the World Series and Mm -hmm. run out of steam. I think it's going to go seven. And I think this is going to be a great postseason. I I love the way the matchups actually came together. I would say of the wildcard matchups, Keith, Mariners-Jays is the one where I I don't want one of those teams to be done after a short series. I kind of want to see more from both of those teams this year. And unfortunately, one of them doesn't make it through the weekend. Yep. You're an optimist. I'm hopeful we get... You know what I want? The thing I always root for every year is long playoff series. It's all I want. I don't really care who wins. I mean, I guess a little bit. I will always say like a team that's... You know, if Cleveland ended up winning the whole thing... Are they, are they currently the longest World Series drought? Yeah, that'd be pretty awesome. And they're quietly pretty good, right? Seattle's never won. Like, would I rather see a team like that win versus, you know, teams that have won recently? Sure, sure. As someone who grew up and is until very recently rooted for a team that's never won a World Series, I have that mm-hmm. same soft spot for the teams that have never won, for the long droughts, for the fans that have waited a lifetime. Mm-hmm. that's the outcome that is the most exciting because they get to celebrate something they've never had before. Yep. But my rational mind comes back and says, yeah, there's a reason why that doesn't happen like that. Baseball doesn't right. play out that way because those teams are, are going up against some juggernauts along right. the way. And, and that's the truth. That's just how, that's how the bracket plays out yet again this year. I actually think I'd like this format. I'm looking at this field looking at the way this season played out, mm-hmm. I think this is a good change. And I'm not usually one to quickly jump on board with changes that Major League Baseball makes and say, yeah, I like this. Usually I'm kicking and screaming right. with the old olds about breaking <laughs> things like this. But for some reason, I'm thinking of Joe Sheehan right now, and he's not even an old old. He would just be like in the older than me category. He's older than I am. <laughs> Maybe he is in the old olds. I think of people like him because I think he's a lot more of the you're diluting this by adding teams every time you add teams like that's generally you know where Joe's been on this for a long time. But I think this is a this is a better shot for teams that wouldn't ordinarily be in the postseason. Mm-hmm. And I think having that chance is something that keeps fans of teams that have never won before coming back. Right. If you chop this playoff field down. I don't know. Like if if, if we had four. Four American League teams in, no Seattle, no Tampa Bay. We take San Diego and Philly out. I'm not as excited about this postseason without those teams at least getting a shot at it. I am very much, you know, again, sort of one of the olds in the sense that I do think we risk continuing to dilute the regular season by continuing to... um add teams to the playoffs and I worry they're going to just say, wait, this is more money. We're just going to keep doing it. I hope this is the end of the playoff expansion. I will say that because I, I do think if you, you get to the point where you're playing baseball the way that you know, the NBA, the NHL works, where you've got 16 teams, you get basically mm-hmm. half the league going to the postseason. Right. You've gone too far. And I think it was Michael Bauman had a piece over at Fangraphs. The playoffs aren't too big. The league is way too small. Yeah, I 
generally agreed with them until he started talking smack about Delaware. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll uh, we'll let He's you guys hash that out sales tax. I think the the thing that's been on my mind a lot. I've been watching Welcome to Wrexham a little bit in my downtime. Uh, yeah, we haven't gotten there yet. I think that's something you might enjoy in your home. My wife is Welsh. Like, yeah, exactly. Yes, clearly, right? Might be some interest there. The system in English football, where you have leagues that are stacked on top of each other with promotion and relegation, like that's that's the dream that I have for baseball that will never happen. It's impossible. Happen. We will never have a system like that. But if we did, the stakes would be so high. The ability to sit back and collect your TV money and not be competitive and run organizations and just you know, kind of quietly profit away while putting a bad product in the field, that wouldn't work because you'd get relegated and eventually yep. the cash would stop flowing in. And sure. that's that's where my mind goes every single time there's talk of expansion, even though I know that's not how baseball's ever going to work. It would take a complete deconstruction and reconstruction of what we have here and it's just not going to go down like that. So if the playoffs get bigger, there better be more teams, like a lot more teams. And I don't know if we can take more than two more teams realistically right? in the current landscape of how baseball's played. So anyway, I thought that was a interesting thing that came up uh, earlier this week. And I would love to see promotion or relegation, but no, that is the dream. No. It will never come no, no, true. No. Baseball is going to expand within the decade, I think for sure, because um, there's money in it. Actually, if I were Major League Baseball, I'd be trying to expand sooner rather than later, too. If this streaming bubble might burst at some point, um, and frankly, franchise except franchise uh, values have gone up so much. It's also a point where I'd say um, this might be a time to cash in. And yeah, yes, they could. Michael's right. I've, I've said this for a long time. Like We have too few teams for the current population of the United States. We have many metro areas of 2 million plus that do not have major league teams. Um, you know, I don't know that we should have 40 teams, but we could certainly have two more. Um, and that'd be a big cash influx, influx for major league baseball. And I think they could do them. You know, they have to do a better job of vetting ownership than they've done recently. But, you know, hopefully because of the size of the metro areas where they likely be expanding, you wouldn't just be creating two more clubs for revenue sharing. Also, that this could end up making the league a bit stronger if done well. And account for the fact that, you know, one thing that Major League Baseball has struggled with for a long time is they, there's been such a push to keep teams in their current markets that even as populations have shifted, right? Milwaukee and Pittsburgh and St. Louis and Cincinnati, some of them have lost people, at least from their downtown areas. They haven't grown anywhere near as much as Nashville and Austin and Charlotte and even Portland, Oregon. Um, very large metropolitan areas that don't have teams. Now, fine. You, if you're willing to subsidize having a team in Milwaukee, which Major League Baseball has decided they're willing to do, fine. You know, even though in anything in a truly free market, that club would have moved several years ago just because the populations have shifted. Um, but you can at least somewhat make up for that through expansion into markets in the South and in the West, where we're seeing populations increase and demographics improve, uh, meaning disposable income is improving and corporate bases there. The only thing I'll say is don't put a freaking team in Vegas. 
It's the worst idea, and they're going to end up having to subsidize it or move it. My, that's my prediction. Within 10 years, they will end up doing that. They're going to regret it, and it's not. they might do it, but that's going to end up being a very poor financial decision for the league. They're going to be the third, at best, third major league franchise in Vegas, and um, the demographics don't support it, not to mention the fact that you know climate change is going to make that place unlivable within 20 years anyway. Yeah, it's gonna take. Um, it's not it's gonna take a lot for that to be a successful move, either for the A's or whatever, whatever ends up being, whether it's expansion or, or something else, some other team moving their franchise there. It would have made more sense before the NHL and the NFL got there. Yes, it's the only game in town. It, it's the yep. the Oklahoma City effect in the NBA. I think something along those lines actually could have worked. This is why MLB should put a team in Austin. There's no professional uh, major league sports team in Austin. And the closest major league sport, San Antonio only has one. Now, those two metro areas combined are well over 3 million people. They're only about 80 miles apart. But from a media perspective, it's kind of one market and you have no competition. I'd much rather do that than be the third team in Vegas, even Nashville, which probably should have a team at some point. But you'd be, once again, the third. And the other two teams have been there and had been established for a long time. That is not great from a competitive standpoint. The NBA has done very well with its American Association strategy. They have a lot of clubs in old AAA cities that have no other major league competition, right? In Oklahoma, it's just it's just Oklahoma. Uh, it's just the NBA. And that's why, right? In Indianapolis, it's just two. And you're not really competing. You know, the NFL, if you got to compete with only one, the NFL is a good one to compete with. They have eight home games. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a really good point. A lot to think about with the future and a lot to watch this weekend. I think those are going to be four really fun series to watch. So enjoy those over the course of the weekend. If you want to give us a follow on Twitter, you can find Keith at Keith Law. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. If you'd like a subscription to The Athletic, they're a dollar a month for the first six months at theathletic.com slash baseball show. The Athletic Baseball Show returns on Monday. Have a great weekend. 